Welcome to the Arborist News audio podcast, brought to you by the International Society of Arboriculture. This audio version of the Arborist News CEU article is voiced by Paul Johnson, Urban Forestry Program Coordinator with Texas A&M Forest Service. This month's article is Part 1 of the Tree Lightning Protection System by E. Thomas Smiley, A. William Graham Jr., and Scott Cullen. Tree Lightning Protection Part 1. CEUs for this article apply to Certified Arborist, Climber Specialist, Aerial Lift, and BCMA Practice Category only. Lightning is an extremely powerful and pervasive force of nature. There are an estimated 100 million lightning strikes annually in North America. Those strikes result in the death of 20 to 35 people each year in the United States. In addition, lightning strikes damage property, injured livestock, and start structural and forest fires. The resulting estimated annual property losses are in the range of $5 billion U.S. per year. Thousands of unprotected trees are struck by lightning in urban and suburban settings every year. Damage and injury to trees from lightning varies greatly. Some lightning-struck trees will exhibit no signs or symptoms of damage. Others will display various levels of damage. Some trees will die within a short time, while others will linger for years before succumbing to secondary pests. Some trees may survive with appropriate treatment. Relatively few struck trees will be completely shattered or blown apart. When the severe damage does occur, part of the tree can be thrown hundreds of yards, meters, potentially causing personal injury or property damage. Struck trees that survive the short term can have an increased risk of structural failure in the long term due to initial wounds and subsequent wood decay. A basic understanding of how lightning works will aid in understanding tree lightning protection system design and components. Lightning is a high-current, transient, atmospheric discharge with a path length measured in miles, kilometers. A strike begins with a charge separation in clouds. While pockets of charge actually occur throughout a cloud, in general, positive charges concentrate in the top of the cloud and negative charges in the lower portion, with additional positive charge pockets embedded in the lower part of the cloud. Depending upon the position and proximity of these charge pockets, several kinds of lightning discharges can occur. Intracloud discharges within the same cloud between positive and negative charge pockets. Cloud-to-cloud discharges between a charge pocket of one polarity in one cloud and a charge pocket of opposite polarity in another cloud. Cloud-to-ground discharges between a positive or negative charge pocket in the cloud and the earth or objects on earth. The concern with trees is generally limited to -to cloud-to-ground discharges. The lightning strike process is initiated by the generation of a stepped leader from the cloud. As the stepped leader gets longer and approaches Earth, objects above the surface, such as trees, initiate upward streamers. When contact is made between an upward streamer and a downward stepped leader, a return stroke begins. The upward streamer and one branch of a downward stepped leader typically meet 33 to 330 feet, 10 to 100 meters, above the object or tree that initiated the streamer. A typical lightning strike has three or more upward and downward strokes, each stroke lasting between 0.0001 to 0.0002 seconds, and each strike, or flash, 0.1 to 0.2 seconds. The current in a stroke averages between 30,000 and 50,000 amps, with voltages ranging from hundreds of thousands to tens of millions of volts, or 10 to up to 300 coulombs. Approximately 30% or more strikes contain continuous current, where there is a continuous flow of current, 100 to 500 amps, for up to half a second. These strikes are more likely to start fires. A lightning strike often results in side flash. 
Side flash occurs when a portion of the electrical current jumps from a struck tree or other object to another nearby object such as a person, tree, or structure. Side flash can cause serious damage to structures, potentially starting fires or damaging electrical systems and appliances. It can also cause personal injury or damage to other trees. Side flashes are most likely to occur within 2 feet 60 centimeters of the object that was struck. Side flash can also occur within a protected tree if the Tree Lightning Protection System's TLPS was not correctly installed or maintained. This occurs most often when conductive objects, such as a tree support system, were not connected or bonded to the TLPS. Another phenomenon associated with a lightning strike is the dissipation of the electrical current in the Earth. Once lightning contacts the Earth, the charge spreads out from the point of contact in all directions. The current is greatest on or near the surface, called a skin effect. Step voltage is the difference in electrical potential between two points, such as a person's feet, their step along that surface. If the voltage difference is great enough, current will flow through a person or animal potentially causing great harm. Step voltage occurs near both protected and unprotected objects and accounts for a significant percentage of lightning-related injuries, typically within 50 feet 15 meters of the strike. Step voltage in the earth should not be confused with the stepped leader in the sky that initiates a lightning strike. Tree lightning protection systems are intended to provide a preferred point for lightning attachment and a preferred path to ground for lightning strike currents. This path will reduce the risk of damage to struck trees, damage to adjacent trees and structures resulting from side flash, or property damage or personal injury from debris thrown from a lightning struck tree. Correctly installed and maintained systems are extremely effective at preventing serious lightning damage to trees. TLPSs do not ensure safe havens for people during storms. They are not intended to protect people from direct lightning strikes or step voltage. In addition, TLPSs will not protect electrical or electronic systems within or outside adjacent structures. These include computers, cameras, HVAC, communications equipment, electronic controls for irrigation systems, landscape lighting, and well pumps. Tree lightning protection systems require maintenance. While the working life of conductors and major components can exceed 50 years, TLPSs need to be inspected on a periodic basis. If component parts deteriorate, they should be replaced to maintain an effective system. As the tree starts to overgrow the TLPS, new fasteners or other components need to be replaced, repaired, or extended. As a tree grows in height, the TLPSs need to be extended to remain most effective. The National Fire Protection Association Standard 780 and the American National Standards Institute recommends installation of a TLPS in trees that are within 10 feet 3 meters of a structure. When trees are taller than adjacent structures, the upward streamers produced from the trees will be more likely to intercept a downward-stepped leader than streamers from the lower structures. If the tree is protected by a TLPS, the risk of damage to the tree, as well as side flash damage to an adjacent structure, are reduced. The risk of property damage or personal injury from the flying debris of a splintered tree is also reduced. The Tree Care Industry Association recommends also protecting trees of historic interest, trees of unusual value, tall trees in recreational or park areas, and trees in susceptible locations, such as isolated trees on a hill, on a golf course, or in a pasture. When deciding which tree should be protected with a TLPS, it is appropriate to perform a basic Level 2 Tree Risk Assessment. Trees determined to have unacceptable levels of risk or those in poor health are unsuitable candidates for a TLPS. 
The risk of lightning damage is a function of the probability of a direct strike to the tree and the expected damage to the tree resulting from the strike. Arborists should recommend protection for trees that have a high risk of a strike and high value damage. Susceptibility to lightning strikes is most related to tree location and size. Trees considered more susceptible to a direct strike include trees close to water, trees on hilltops or on slopes facing the direction of approaching storm, the tallest tree in a group, trees growing in the open or in small groups, trees that border woods or line a street, trees in local areas or geographic regions with a history of numerous lightning strikes. Before installing a TLPS, a qualified arborist or certified lightning protection system installer will need to inspect the tree, site, and soil in order to develop specifications for installation. Note, there is no certification for tree lightning protection system installers, only for structural lightning protection system installers. The specifying arborist should be sure all components that will be used are of compatible sizes and materials and designed for use in TLPSs. Since most key components are not found in hardware stores, they will need to be obtained from a lightning protection or arborist supply company in advance of scheduling installation. All components used in TLPSs should be made for this use or compliant with national standards for TLPSs. These materials are composed of or clad with commercial electrical grade copper, copper alloys including brass or bronze, or stainless steel. Specific metals are required for certain portions of a TLPS. Aluminum and unclad steel components are not acceptable in the functional part of a TLPS, but may be used as non-functional components, such as the fasteners that attach PVC conduit to protect a system from vandalism. To avoid galvanic corrosion, TLPS components should not directly contact greatly dissimilar metals that would form an electrolytic couple. For example, copper conductors should not directly contact galvanized steel support cables. Conductors are the main wire or cable components of a TLPS. They are made of copper and can be a single solid wire or multi-stranded cables in rope, lay, smooth twist, or loose weave configurations made specifically for this use. While aluminum conductors are used in structural lightning protection systems, they are not compliant with A300 Part 4 and therefore are not permissible in a TLPS in the United States. If aluminum conductors are allowed in TLPSs by other national standards, copper grounding conductors are preferred because of corrosion problems that occur when aluminum is in contact with soil. In such systems, aluminum and copper conductors must be joined using specialized dielectric connectors at a sufficient height above grade to avoid soil contact. In order to direct the electrical current from a lightning strike, copper TLPS conductors need to be a minimum total cross-sectional area of at least 0.022 inches squared, 14.2 millimeters squared. This is equivalent to a 1 quarter inch or 6.4 millimeter diameter cable composed of 14 strands of 17 AWG, American wire gauge, copper wires, or a single 3 16th inch or 4.1 millimeter diameter, 6 AWG solid conductor. Conductors of this size have been found to be adequate for TLPSs and significantly reduce material cost compared to larger sizes required in older TLPS standards. Larger diameter conductors such as 32 strands of 17 AWGS copper wires, 15 32 inch or 11.9 millimeter diameter, required by older TLPS standards, or a single 2 AWG, 1 quarter inch, 
or 6.4 millimeter diameter solid copper conductor may still be used in a TLPS when a lower impedance conductor is desired. Some property owners or managers require the use of these larger diameter conductors in new TLPSs. The specifying arborist should carefully read and understand bid or contract specifications when planning and pricing a TLPS. Conductors are classified based on their location in the system. Primary conductors run from near the top of a tree to a grounding electrode. Branch conductors run from a branch top to a primary conductor, rather than directly to a grounding electrode. Ground conductors are the continuation of a primary conductor running from the base of the tree to the grounding electrode. Bonding conductors connect metal objects in the tree, such as a support system cable, to primary or branch conductors. Conductor connectors are used to connect conductors to each other, to other system components, or to other metallic objects. They are also called splicers or cable splicers. Conductor connectors are classified by how they secure the connection. Clamp-type connectors use bolts to secure the connection between conductors or other components or metallic objects. Clamp-type connectors attach more tightly than crimp-type connectors, so there is less likelihood of loosening over time. Installed within 3 feet 1 meter of the soil surface. Crimp-type connectors are used to join connectors and are available in end-to-end, side-by-side, and Y configurations. They have finger-like projections that are bent over onto the conductor and have at least two 1/8 inch 3mm projections inside that penetrate the conductors upon closing. Crimp-type connectors must be sized to match the conductor. When installing this type of connector, the fingers must be crimped very firmly over the conductor. The connection strength is often tested by pulling on the conductor below the connector with the full weight of the installer. If a TLPS is specified with a larger diameter primary conductor, example, 32 strands of 17 AWG wire, and smaller diameter branch conductors, example, 14 strands of 17 AWG wire, and a crimp-type connector is used to join them, it must be specifically constructed for different size conductors. Bonding connectors are clamp-type connectors made of bronze or consisting of two or more types of metals, bimetallic, to reduce the likelihood of forming an electrolytic couple. Specialized bonding clamps are used for bonding to large diameter conduits or pipes greater than 0.75 inches, 2 centimeters. Both crimp-type and clamp-type connectors are constructed so that 1 to 1.5 inches, 3.8 centimeters, of conductor overlap and can be secured within the connector. When installed correctly, both types support at least 200 pounds force, 890 newtons. The air terminal is the uppermost above-ground component of a TLPS located near the top of a tree and is intended to provide a lightning strike attachment point. A TLPS is not required to be terminated with a manufactured air terminal, but the use of a manufactured air terminal is preferred because they are more effective at attaching the strike to the TLPS. If manufactured air terminals are used, blunt terminals, more, Bartlett, are preferred over sharp terminals, tree points, Franklin points. If no manufactured air terminal is installed, the end of the conductor should be cleanly cut with all strands in contact. Fraying the ends of the conductor is not recommended. Fasteners are used to secure conductors to the tree. They are also called standoffs because they separate the conductor from the surface of the tree. Fasteners are sized to match the conductor and are of substantial construction so that they can be anchored into wood. Fasteners are designed to be either hammer-driven or screwed into the tree. Hammer-driven fasteners are also known as drive fasteners. Screw fasteners are either single-use, fixed-length, or extendable. 
both types are pinched tightly onto the conductor either before or after installation. Grounding electrodes, formerly called a grounding system, provide electrical contact with the earth. They consist of the ground conductor and either of two types of terminations. Ground rods must be no less than one half inch, 13 millimeters in diameter, and 8 feet, 2.4 meters long. Slightly larger diameter, 5 eighths inch, 16 millimeter rods are more resistant to bending and therefore are preferred in hard or rocky soil. Ground rods are made of copper clad steel, stainless steel clad steel, solid copper, or solid stainless steel. The typical ground rod has a steel core for strength and is clad in copper for conductivity and corrosion resistance. Solid copper is expensive and may be too soft to drive into hard soils. Solid stainless steel is stronger than solid copper, but is less commonly available and more expensive than copper-clad steel. When longer ground rods, more than 8 feet or 2.4 meters, are required or when shorter ground rods are all that are available, such as in parts of Europe and the United Kingdom, Multiple ground rods with machine thread on each end can be used. They are connected with a double female threaded connector. To prevent damaging the machine thread when driving the rod, a threaded cap is fastened to the top threads. Compression fittings that have a smooth, slightly tapered interior can be used to connect non-threaded ground rods in a similar fashion. Compression fittings are not crimped onto the ground rod. They join two rods as they are driven into the soil and have at least one to one and a half inches of overlap. Ground rods are connected to ground conductors using ground rod clamps. Ground plates are copper sheets at least 0.032 inch, 0.8 millimeter, 20 gauge thick, with a surface area of at least 2 feet squared, 0.19 meters squared. The plates typically used in a TLPS are 18 inches by 18 inches or 2.25 feet squared, 46 centimeters by 46 centimeters or 0.21 meters squared. Ground plates are connected to ground conductors using a minimum of two connectors that are permanently attached to the ground plate when it is manufactured. The two crimp type or clamp type connectors must apply pressure to a ground conductor over a minimum length of one to one and a half inches. Ground rod clamps are used to connect a ground conductor to a ground rod. They should have a minimum contact length for both the rod and conductor of one to one and a half inches. The inside width of the clamp should match the ground rod diameter, one half or five eighths inch, 13 to 16 millimeters diameter. Straight ground rod clamps should be heavy duty and have at least two screws or bolts to fasten to the ground rod. Shorter light duty single bolt clamps commonly used in electrical system grounds are not acceptable in a TLPS. When installing straight ground rod clamps, the bolts must seat onto the rod rather than the ground conductor. The conductor should enter from the top of the clamp. Right angle, crossover, ground rod clamps are preferred when installing more than one ground rod in an inline configuration. Thank you for listening to this month's Arborist News audio podcast. An online quiz worth one CEU is available now to current ISA members. This quiz will become available to non-members in October 2016. Visit the ISA web store and search for online quizzes for the most recent CEU opportunities. Arborist News is ISA's bi-monthly serial publication that provides readers with the latest in arboricultural news and education. This magazine is an ISA member benefit and offers opportunities for ISA credential holders to earn CEUs. Become a member today to start receiving Arborist News in your mailbox or inbox. That concludes this episode. Please check back for the next Arborist News audio.